Rise and receive the call to worship. We're glad to be in the house of the Lord once again, and we pray that we may be blessed, and we would hear the psalmist say that God is great and greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints, to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. Beloved, may the fear of God impel us to worship God in spirit and in truth, and the love of God impel us to adore God, and may we not even be the same as we walk out here because we've been with Jesus and he would turn us to himself and to be glad and holy for Jesus' sake. Receive God's greeting. Grace, mercy, and peace be richly multiplied unto you from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Lord through the working of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's continue our worship in song number 230, What Shall I Render to the Lord? We'll sing the five stanzas, 230.
Beloved congregation, we have a faith to believe, and we have the faith to believe the faith. And that is revealed in the Word of God. With the Church of All Ages, we're glad to be living members. So we have this deposit of truth, and so we would confess tonight the apostolic creed, the faith of our fathers living still, of the triune God of our salvation. Believer, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe a holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Continue our worship in song number 211. One of those <clears throat> Psalms, Psalm 106, that rehearses the, the great blessings of God uh, that was to the people of God of the Old Testament. We sing this in light of the new. We're going to sing two renditions of this, the first five stanzas and then five through eight. So the first five stanzas of 211. Let's join in prayer together. A great God in heaven, you are our Father, we are your children, we draw near to you in prayer. 
the way you have ordained, because we come in the name of Jesus and trusting in the blood, which is the new and living way into the holy place of God. Thanks, Lord, for this way, which is the truth and the life of us. And if he be not the way, there is no truth nor life. And we would be hypocrites in those who are believing a lie. But he is the way, is Jesus. His name is precious. His sacrifice, his blood sacrifice on the cross was truly satisfaction of your own justice. And so sinners are right with God. That is, your own are right with God for whom Jesus died. Now we trust in you. And we know, Father, that by the grace of God, here we are trusting in you. Because naturally, we're just those Israelites of old who complain. We'd rather be in Egypt, rather even be in slavery in Egypt, and free-born sons of Sarah, true children of the covenant, and in the dangerous place of being in the battle of the faith. Lord God, you have made us to be yours, and made us to be willing in the day of your power to be your faithful servants, and here we are, accept the offerings of our broken spirit and contrite hearts, the thank offerings that we make, because of the reality that you are and your own work is in us. We are your workmanship, Lord. Receive your own work through us and receive us for the sake of Jesus. Remember us through the blood. Remember that we're trusting only in his righteousness. Remember, Lord, your mercy. Lord, we pray that tonight we may truly have a bit of heaven, a foretaste of heaven, as we consider the things of the great exodus of the people of God of the Old Testament. In the New Testament light, this is truly thrilling because we are made more aware even of the New Testament exodus through the blood and resurrection of Jesus as we study the things of your sacred word. Thanks, Lord, for making it clear. Thanks for giving us to see how you have uh, progressed in your revelation through the ages, from typical revelation, from types and shadows, from pictures on the wall in a, uh, a pedagogical situation where there were children there, even the nation of Israel. And now you've, in these last days, spoken by your Son. And there is this amazing spirit who enlightens us with the truth and with regard to the truth of the word of God. Lord, you have been with us in the incarnation. You are still with us now in the incarnate Savior who speaks to us in his word and by his spirit and his words are spirit and they are life. So, Father... We are thrilled to be in your presence in the name of Jesus, shielded by him and his righteousness and believing that you will truly bless us beyond what we could ask or think right now. The kingdom will come now. It will advance. These things we know are immeasurable. We don't seek the shattering of the windows or the 
the coming of horses and maybe the riding of a white horse visibly up and down the aisles. But there's this spiritual progress and there's this answer to prayer and there is Lord Jesus himself who's put in the hearts of his people to pray, Lord Jesus, come quickly and this will happen. There will be this meeting of heaven and earth tonight, and we look forward to this. We need this. Our earth is dreary. There is a waste howling wilderness here below, and it's a, it's a dangerous place. We confess that we have fallen short of your, of your glory. We have been those who practiced sin and excused ourselves, and we have been on the sly, those who would have a bit of Egypt or a lot of Egypt. We're sorry for this. Lord God, we expect as we answer, as we pray that you would forgive us our sins and that you would sanctify us, that this is going to happen. And we even trust right now as we're praying that you do forgive us. We confess our sins. We say, Lord, well, we are the wretches who are unworthy of salvation. We beat our breasts where we are, not even in the center of the attention, but way in the corner of the temple, knowing that we need mercy and praying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Lord in heaven, we pray that with great expectation that you will give us power, you'll give us peace, you will give us to face our red seas in life and see them as things which you can part and through which you will give us to walk as on dry land even to the other, other side. And Lord, we pray your kingdom come in all the world. On earth as it is in heaven, may your will be done among the saints of God. May there be, Lord, this salt in us that we have and this light shining that we do as your people, that there may be many gathered into the fold, into this fold, into other folds, all the folds that Jesus has of this denomination and that and this church and that. Lord, we pray that you would call out of the darkness your own, the elect ordained to eternal life for whom Jesus died and upon whom you would have mercy in, in your good time and way till the very last one is saved and then Jesus will come again. We pray, Father, that in all of this territory of this earth there may be every square inch claimed for Jesus as we are involved in the culture as we glean indeed things of Egypt itself but they are sanctified for their use by prayer and the word of God so that there can be this amazing amazing glory given to God by sinners who are saved and who would paint and who would who would run for office and who would protest unrighteous decisions of governments and, and who would otherwise be the salt of the earth and the light of the world, showing that it needs be for Jesus. Our life needs be for Jesus, or it's not a life worth living. It's even a death. For you are not pleased with the legs of a man or the sonatas of a composer. You are pleased with the heart and the broken hearts that cling to God for salvation. So we pray, Father, to seek the things above, to know that life is serving God no matter what we're called to do. That makes all the difference. You call us to do what we're called to do right now, right here, 
in this job or maybe another, with this person, with that person, with no compromise. And in this church or another true church, oh God, we pray, use us and, and thrill us and truly bless us and give us faith and hope and joy and love and all of the fruit of your Holy Spirit. Work in those who are sorrowing and pray that you would grant joy the kingdom of heaven is about that. It's not meat and drink and joy and that and the stuff of the earth, but it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost, in being at peace with God, in being assured of forgiveness, not doubting anymore, but being champions of faith and, and of the, the wonderful conviction whereby we say with Paul, I'm persuaded, I'm persuaded that nothing will separate me and us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And we're persuaded as well, Father, that you have begun a good work in us, will perfect it unto the day of Jesus Christ. We need not fear. As we hear tonight, we're called not to fear. Fear not, and stand still. Behold the salvation of God. May the sorrowing have their eye on the Lord, not on their troubles, but on the Lord. And may, Lord, we in our successes have our eye on the Lord and the victory that's in him, lest we be proud and puffed up. And Lord, bless our church and our offices of all believer. May we be strong. May the fathers, may they take the lead in their homes and among their children and loving their wives and loving their children and raising them in their fear, the fear of God. And the mothers, may they be blessed by the father's love, the husband's love and and may it be truly covenantal that we come together at the altar of our homes and in church. We pray, Father, bless the special officers of deacons and elders and pastor. And may it be, Lord, that we are, are very serious about doing our work well and doing it to please God and being humble and serving and caring. May the people avail themselves of the wisdom of the deacons, the the righteousness of elders and, and somehow the righteousness and the wisdom and the charity of the pastor too. May we all, Lord, be glad our place in your, in your kingdom, your home, the covenant home, is, is a great one indeed. Everyone significant. May we not be lost, Lord, in this sea of insignificance, the sea of nations, roiling and wondering of its own identity, and not having the truth and not confessing to truth, the possibility even, so lost on the seas of humanity and vanity and emptiness and death. Lord, you found us. You found us. You've given us life. Oh, we pray tonight, Lord, help us to be revived, moved, fruitful this week. And then to return to your house in the next Lord's day, glad that heaven comes down to earth and then we go to heaven in these meetings with God. Hear our prayers. Bless your servant that he might have strength to bring the word, clarity of mind, and may he have boldness as well, and humility and faith and grace in his heart. There'll be wisdom here, the wisdom of Christ and the shepherding of the great shepherd of the sheep and the preaching of the great, the great 
man of God, the word of God, Jesus himself, power unto salvation. Oh, may we know the gospel to be just that as we believe and are given faith to believe and to look to heaven from whence comes our help. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Your offering for the general fund will be received. Let's turn to 211 again. We'll sing 5 through 8, and I omitted to write that we want to sing 23 as well, the last stanza of this rendition of Psalm 106, 5, 6, 7, 8, and 23. Rise and sing.
want to take our Bibles at this time and turn to Exodus chapter 14. In the interest of time and saving time, I'm going to read just the last part of Exodus 14, verses 21 through 31, the end of the chapter, to the other parts of the chapter we'll be referring. I am making a bold assumption here, that is that most people are very familiar with the narrative in the Bible of the crossing of the Red Sea, the parting of the waves, the wonder of grace that it was. And we'll trying to be uh, very clear on this tonight and simple, the simple gospel of this amazing narrative, this event, the Old Testament history that points to our salvation in Jesus. Hear the word of God, Exodus chapter 14, verse 21. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. Now it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud. And he troubled the army of the Egyptians, and he took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. And the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians, on their horse, chariots and on their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth, while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea, and the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, and all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. Not so much as one of them remained. But the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt, so that the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Thus far we read of this part of the account of the parting of the Red Sea, and we want to deal with this very plainly, very clearly here as regard to the wonder that it was and the wonder of grace that it is also for us. There's a, there's a typical picture here of the gospel of our deliverance, our exodus from sin and unto the kingdom of heaven. The parting of the Red Sea, we, we need to know right away, was, if not the most, uh, one of the most outstanding works of God in the entire Old Testament. 
This is the culmination of the many works of God that God had been doing, the ten plagues, and here is the culmination of them, the fruit even of the last plague of the, the killing of the firstborn and the blood of the lamb shed, as we'll see. But this one, this parting of the Red Sea was celebrated in Israel over and over again. The prophet Nahum, for example, in chapter 1, 3, and 4 says, The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds of the dust of his feet. He rebuketh the sea and maketh it dry. And then there is the reference to the fact that even the heathen were apprised of the greatness of God. You read in Joshua chapter 2, so that they were trembling when the Israelites were to take the land of Canaan because they remembered the God of the Red Sea, the God who parted the Red Sea and destroyed the great kingdom of Egypt by the mighty plagues and the destruction that he brought upon them in the sea. So it was a thing to remember in Israel, something that was for them of the greatest of significance, not only as to the power of God and the righteousness of God, but as to the grace of God. Beloved, we want to visit the Red Sea once again. And we want to see the Red Sea as we're standing there on one side from Israel's point of view, and also as we're on the other side. We get that, we get that perspective. We can do that on the other side of Christ's coming. We also want to consider the walking in the Red Sea, and, and we want to consider as well the floating bodies, belly up of the dead Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. What does that mean? What is that for us? The Bible tells us that these things of the Old Testament people was written for our learning. What are we to learn tonight? What are we to learn of God and of grace and of the Lord Jesus, our Savior, through whom we have the exodus and in him alone? So we want to consider, first of all, the, the threatening woe that was something the Israelites were facing at this time. And then we want to consider the wonder of grace. And then we want to consider that walking through by faith, because this is exactly what the New Testament emphasizes that was Israel's virtue here. There, there's something that was worked in them so that they walked through the Red Sea by faith, Hebrews chapter 11 more on that to come. But first of all, this threatening woe. Remember the setting. We got there last time, almost to the Red Sea. There had been this amazing string of miracles that had all but decimated the land of Egypt. We don't know how long those miracles took place. Some have estimated it was six or seven or eight months from the first miracle to the last, but during those times, the livestock, the land, and the persons of the Egyptians were affected such that they were goners. And that last plague, that last plague of the killing of the firstborn had done it, and finally Pharaoh had done, uh, Pharaoh, uh, had done with it, and he would let the people go. And so the problem is, 
that God had led them into a problematic situation. That is from one way of looking at it. The Israelites were told, remember, that they were not to go north and directly into Canaan. Instead, they were to go south, southeast, and were not sure exactly of the direction. And of all these cities that are mentioned, we don't know the significance of them or their location, however much we might like to try to find them or where exactly at the Red Sea they were. We don't know that. Not told. We don't need to know. But we do know that when they got there, they were hemmed in on every side. Red Sea was on the east, and it was a formidable sea. They could not pass it. It was impassable. Remember, there's two million so or so people here, 600,000 men, besides women and children. And so we've estimated maybe two million, three million. And livestock, laden with the gold and the silver of Egypt and the raiment, and, and there they are. They're led to this place, and there's mountains on the south and on the west, as the, the scholars tell us, so that it's impossible for them to move forward except uh, through the mountains and the wilderness, except with great difficulty. And remember, with all the baggage they have and all the men, women, and the children. And then to the north, following the Israelites, are the Egyptians, Pharaoh, Pharaoh and his host, 600 chosen chariots, charioteers, drivers, captains of the host, and besides all of the other chariots and the Egyptians that followed Pharaoh's mighty army, the glory of Egypt. That had not yet been challenged by God, even though it had. He had challenged their gods, but the army of Egypt had remained intact. We'll see how well it does. But to Israel, this looked formidable and impossible. And from every way you look at it, it looked like they were doomed. Because, remember whom Pharaoh represents. He represents the devil, the prince of the world. And the Egyptians represent the enemies of the people of God. And they're not following God out of the wilderness. They're pursuing hard on the friends of God. And to take them back, Apparently, that was the motive, not to kill them, at least not to kill them all. I suppose they would have killed Moses and Aaron so they would never uh, start a rebellion against like they had seen. They would have taken many of them back to be slaves again because that's what they were grinding their teeth about. We lost cheap labor. Who wouldn't want cheap labor to build their, their uh, treasure cities and so on? And so... This devil of a man is not only a bad man and representing a bad devil, but he's a mad man. He's angry, and the Egyptians are angry. Look at this. They pilfered us of our silver and gold and our fine jewelries, our clothing, and our raiment. That's what they did to us. How dare they do that to us, those low-class Hebrews? We want it back wasn't fair. So, looks all impossible. And here's what makes it, however, not just a bad situation, but a woeful one. Use that word as the Bible uses woe. 
And woe is used in the Bible to express the, the predicament of sinners. And it's not just the predicament of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. We know their woe. God has pronounced that upon them. And he's hardened Pharaoh's heart in his sovereign justice. But there's something here of Israel that comes out. If you look earlier in the passage we didn't read, but which leads up to this, as Pharaoh had drawn near, the Israelites show that they themselves are worthy of woe. For when Pharaoh draws near, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and I'm beginning at verse 10 here, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, so they were very afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Now stop there. Seems like they're crying out to the Lord in prayer. He's going to hear them. But now you know the nature of their hearts and their hypocrisy by what they say next of Moses and to Moses. Then they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt? Isn't this what we said, saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. That's what they say. And from what I recall, these are their last words. Before they die and go to hell? No. Before they cross the Red Sea. Israel's last words. Not exactly... uh, fitting testimony to their faith, is it? In fact, this makes it so that it seems very hard for us to get our heads around this, that God didn't destroy them right then and there. You see, the Egyptians are following the Israelites, but lo and behold, in the Israelites, we see Egyptians. We see people who have amalgamated into and assimilated into the Egyptian culture, and they had worshipped the Egyptian gods, and they had become just like the Egyptians. And following God, okay, so far as it goes. But if you're going to go this way, Moses, and stir everybody up, and so it's not safe at all, but very dangerous, we don't follow God that way. So they show their worldliness here. That's what I'm trying to express to you. This, This threatening woe, And the woe is pronounced, it should be, it could be pronounced upon them by God himself. God's the one who pronounces woes. That means curses children. And when God curses somebody, it means he's angry with them. Literally, one of the words uh, for cursing means uh, it's the opposite of blessing. And blessing is God speaking a good word to you. That's what blessing is. But cursing is God speaking a bad word to you, meaning he's pronouncing judgment upon you. He's telling it like it is with regard to your sin, as he had with Pharaoh in hardening his heart. Pharaoh is is toast, as we would say. He's bound for hell. He's the example of the reprobate in Romans 9. God will have mercy upon whom he will have mercy, and it's not Pharaoh whom he wills. He hardens. But here we have the Israelites. They're not being hardened, but they sure are hard. 
They're not being condemned here, but it sure looks like they should be. And that the whole of the book of Exodus should be rewritten and you should get a better people even to lead out of their God. They don't seem worthy of the name followers of God, people of the promise, children of Abraham. Here they are. And beloved, we finally got there in our sermons to the brink of the Red Sea and we're going to pass... We're going to get him through, that is, in the sermon. And perhaps we would have expected by seeing it again, something we might have forgotten, that Israel had become a little better. But no. Beloved, this threatening woe, then, is not what Pharaoh threatens, but what God himself could in his justice execute upon the people that called themselves Israelites. Except for one thing. The shout of a king was among them. The word of God was that they were his. But that threatening woe is real. And for us to come away edified here, we have to see the type that it is, the, the picture that's being presented here. Lest we think for a minute that we get to go through the Red Sea because of some, some righteousness that we might have. And lest we think that we should hang on a preacher's word last week or the week before, or whoever in our the history of our going to churches, and he once said, well, there's some good in all of us. Here's the best in all of us. And it's not good, is it? Look at that. Because there were no graves in Egypt, had you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? It had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Hear that, beloved. Here's the natural man. Here's you and here's me. As we are in Adam, dead in sins, we would rather live in the world and live worldly than die serving God. If he doesn't get us what we want, well, then forget it. If following him becomes too dangerous, forget it, especially if we have to go to the cross and be exposed there for those foolish people that we are believing that a man dying on the cross is going to save us. And we get mocked and ridiculed the more that we draw near the cross, then we don't want to have that, do we? Bearing a cross? Saying no to sin? Saying there's black and white and everything is not 50 shades of gray? That'll get you in trouble. Not only mocked, but hounded and fired. And then in the end we read, you'll be tempted to wear the mark of the beast, which is the mark of compromise. 
This teaches us here that the natural man will pray to God, maybe. Look, the children of Israel cry out to the Lord. They're, they're in a foxhole. They're in a tough place. But note the hypocrisies. They cry out to the Lord, but they complain against the mediator of the Lord. This is the height of false religion, the depth of it, the perversity of it. You pray to God, no Jesus. Can't do it, beloved, may not do it, but this is what we do. We want to come to God our way and we start insisting on things and this is the difference between a true Christian and a false. Is Jesus everything to you? That's Moses, represented, representing Jesus. And therefore, the Lord is everything to you. We celebrate Father's Day today. Is it truly that we celebrate our Heavenly Father's Day today? And that he's revealed in the Son, and to come to Jesus is to come to the Father through him? Here's hypocrisy. Here's why People deserve to die, even those who go by the name of Abraham's seed. Better for us to have to die in the wilderness than, or, or to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Better for us to be slave in sin. At least you got some freedom. The handcuffs aren't so bad. And they, they let you feed your face and, and turn on the pornography and, and be thrilled and have people like you. You can do this all together. How terrible. Rather be a slave of Satan than free with God, free to serve God free to go wherever he says, through the Red Sea, through the wilderness, to glory. In the name of Jesus. So that what was, that's, that's the, the woe part of it. And then there's the wonder part of it. The wonder of grace. And we read of that in our narrative. It's the wonder of God parting the Red Sea. And how this occurs is, is simply amazing. But I want to point out another wonder for you, first of all. In fact, it's often missed here. It should be emphasized. This is a wonder, of course, it's a miracle, but before that, there's a wonder that God distinguishes his people from Pharaoh. There's a parting of the ways. This has happened, we saw, in the ten plagues. And uh, along about the fourth one or so, Israel was distinguished between the Egyptians because the plagues didn't strike them. And then, of course, the last plague that didn't strike them because of the blood of the Lamb. And so you have here 
this distinction that God is maintaining at this point. Here's his people. They complain. These are their first words, and these are their last words since the Exodus began in earnest on that wonderful night. And they have nothing to say except it should be as we wanted it, Moses. Our word you should have listened to. This is what man does. My word, not God's. But God here shows mercy. Amazing. And we should have known that, of course, because prior to this predicament are those plagues. And is God visiting Israel 400-some years after the promise to Abraham, reminding them in the burning bush and then in the person and the sermons and the signs of Moses that he's still with them. Should have believed that. And then there was those nine mighty plagues, and this afternoon I preached at the rest home and something similar to this. And I said, if only one-tenth of your memory is, is there, that's okay. Just remember the last plague. Because the last plague, which was the killing of the firstborn of all of those houses were not covered with, with the blood, was the salvation of Israel of the houses that were covered with blood. And that makes all the difference. The blood makes the difference. The blood is God's earnest, his verification that the people of God are truly the people of God. They belong to him. Remember, as we saw last time, God looks at the blood. He didn't look inside the house and say, my, what fine people those are. Wouldn't have found anybody. He didn't look at the size of the house and say, man, this guy's got a mansion. Must be good in business. Must be some kind of righteous person. So he can go. But he just looked at the blood. And people of God, this is the the revelation of what we need to know in the light of the New Testament of everything that God has ever said. He's going to speak. He's going to speak in dreams and visions in the Old Testament. The last days he's going to come to us by his son. But he's always going to speak with the words blood. Always there's going to be a sacrifice. Always there's going to be someone who has to be our righteousness in our place, has to take our place because we cannot stand before God, but God will stand before God in Christ Jesus. And he will pay for our sins and he will blot them all away. Well, what I'm saying is, This is why we should have been led to believe and we are led to believe that God's not going to let the people drown or be defeated in battle by Pharaoh or to be consumed by the wilderness here and that it's simply impossible for God even. Because God is the God of the possible. He's the God of the impossible and the possible. Whatever you want to call it, he's God. And because of that blood, he will then continue to verify that his people are his and it doesn't depend on them. It depends on him. And his grace is free favor. So that's why all that night, God keeps 
Pharaoh and his army from Israel. You love that? We learned last time of this pillar of cloud and fire. Pillar of cloud by day, fire by night. It went before the Israelites as they're going. Well, now Pharaoh's threatening goes from before the Israelites in front of them to behind them so that children, there's this wall of of, of God, this wall of God between the Egyptians and the Israelites. And to the Egyptians who are bearing hard upon the Israelites, it's night, they cannot see, and they dare not move. To the Israelites, it's light, and they know that God is with them that way, protecting them. Beautiful. Beautiful picture of the folly of those who try to pursue the people of God. They are in the dark and also the grace of God so that he will not let his people perish at the hand of devils. He will put up this wall of God between God's people and the entire world. Bring them on. God and his wall are impregnable. Cannot topple the wall who is God. Well, then, all night long, through the mediation of Moses, who's told to lift up his rod and stretches his hand with the rod in it over the sea, God causes an east wind to come, and so that the sea is blown apart, as it were, and there is on the top a wall on the left, and then on the right a wall of sea. We don't know how deep. must have been pretty wide because, again, there's these two million people. And all night they're going to be marching and going through this Red Sea. We don't know how wide it is, but this is a miracle. It's not low tide. It's not that there's a sandbar somewhere and they just can go through. And there it is. It's not something that happens regularly. And even if it did, this is God speaking here. This is a miracle, and not just a miracle of creation, a wonder of grace. Right then and there, God commands this miracle when the Israelites need it. And right then and there, at the, at the command of God, the waters that were the salvation of the people of God become the death and destruction of Pharaoh. God working wonders. The wonder who is God. Wonder who is God's mediator, celebrated here, revealed here. The wonder of God making a way in the sea. So the protection of God and then the amazing provision of God of this sea and dry land and the people of God, they go through to the other side and then there's the destruction of Pharaoh and his host and they see the bodies belly up or whatever of the horses and of, of the, the soldiers floating on the sea and then on the seashore, and Israel sings. Miracle, miracle. Included in this, the salvation of the people of God, therefore, in this wonder is the destruction of the not people of God. The wrath of God is, is vindicated here, the honor of God. This is said repeatedly in this narrative. I will get me honor upon Pharaoh and the host. I will be glorified. It's not that God wanted them to save, be saved and desperately pleaded with them. No, he's hardening them here. 
and he is justly destroying them as he will the wicked in the day of days. And the path that's through the Red Sea is the path for the people of God. It's the path of Christ. It's the way of Christ. And notice here, that wall of fire. The Lord looks out of the wall of fire, as it were. Verse 24, came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord Jehovah looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and then he troubled the army of the Egyptians and took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. And then the Egyptians realized, let's flee from the face of Israel for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Now here, don't you see, if nowhere else in Scripture, though it's in a thousand other places, God truly is the God of one people and his Christ who is this theophany, this Lord speaking out of the pillar, this presence of God who is the salvation of the people of God and for the destruction of the others. Don't you see, as so many evangelicals forget to see, that Christ is for his own. He's not a Christ for everyone. He's not there making salvation possible. He's there to establish salvation. And apply the wonders of his cross to his own. The same pillar of fire and cloud is salvation to one, damnation to the other. This is hard stuff in modern day evangelicalism. And the word is tolerance. The word is pretty please. The word is you get a second chance. And you really don't mean what you say when you're saying that Christianity is, is nothing. And, and, and I'll pray for you and, you know, I, and God is hoping and I'm hoping that you'll be saved. There's holiness here. Holiness. And it doesn't make ministers friends who uphold the holy God. The particularity of the reformed faith and of redemption and of heaven and of hell to colleagues in the ministries who have parted ways and left the old paths. See, beloved, it's not that we can understand this so well. In fact, Psalm 77, love to bring this at funerals, love to be the, bring this at people, to people who are perplexed. Understand it. But Psalm 77 tells us, God's way is in the sanctuary, and God's way is in the sea. His way is in the sea. Referring to the Red Sea, referring to the depth, the profundity of the way of God. That which is salvation to some, but it's not to all. So deep and so wonderful, this love to God. And there we are on the other side, and There are the bodies floating up, and we should have been there. Not even floating, dead, drowned, sunk. And God would say, ah, but I'm God. And this is this wonder here. It leads us to worship. Now, beloved, I tried to be simple here. Talk about the woe, the wonder. Let's get to the the faith, the, the walk of faith. 
Remember the last words of the Israelites before the other side of the sea and their singing? Words of complainers, words of worldly people and Egyptian-like people and almost threatening Moses. They don't have faith, do they? Not much. No evidence of it. But Moses said to the people, coming back to the narrative we didn't read, verse 13, 14, do not be afraid, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which we, he will accomplish for you today. The Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. Your enemies will be destroyed. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. And then apparently Moses cries to the Lord himself. He's desperation almost. And God says, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward, lift up your rod, and so on. Now, beloved, Moses is standing here. I mean standing in the spiritual sense of the word. He's not standing for the Israelites complaining. See him in faith here, don't we? Here he is, apparently like all but alone. And there's the Israelites, and there's the mixed multitude that went along with them. Maybe partial Egyptians, partial this or that, but these people apparently who would be the source of great rebellions in Israel as, as long, along with the apostate Israelites themselves. But Moses is standing along, uh, alone. Reminds me of some of the great fathers, Athanasius, who stood against the world, the world of Christendom, that was denying the divinity of Jesus. And Athanasius, and Athanasius, for one Greek letter, said, we must stand. This is the hill of doctrine we should die on, because if Jesus is not God, we have no Savior, but he is God, and we have a Savior the Savior of the Red Sea, the Savior of the cross, and the Savior by God of the resurrection. Because this is what this is all about, you know. The great miracle of the Red Sea is like unto the resurrection. There they are in Egypt and they're dead. They're led out of the Red, uh, through, the, through the Red Sea and it's walking through death as it were. And as our catechism describes it, this death is therefore not anything to the Israelites because God has made it a passage, a passage to the other side, to heaven. What a great comfort to the people of God. But at this time, this crucial time, the Israelites are shaking in their Boots. Do not be afraid. I like the King James, fear not. One of the most common exhortations in the Bible. Fear not. Behold, I give you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people, the angels. Jesus, fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Moses here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, Fear not. You see, fear is the enemy of faith. 
This isn't fear not God. This is fear not what you're fearing besides God. Anything. You? How are you doing there? Maybe some Red Sea. Maybe some future that you might have to live alone. Maybe some diagnosis that a doctor has given to you and you have so much to live. Maybe you're simply fearing that life has passed you by. Maybe us fathers are fearing the consequences of our compromised fatherhood. We regret so many of the things we did or didn't do. And the words that we said in anger and the few words we said of encouragement. Fear not, Moses says. God says. Fear not. Though you pass through the rivers and the waters, I will be with you. See, this is the way of God. And if it's the way of God so clearly revealed in the Bible that we have nothing to fear except not following the way, but here he says it. And with fear not is stand still. And the idea is that a people that's fearing and that's fearing the waves and that's fearing Pharaoh and that's fearing the mountains and that's fearing for the children's sake and that's fearing for their future, they're all a bustle at doing something. This is the nature of the Arminian in all of us, I guess, the Pelagian. Got to do something. Got to do something to be right with God, to help God out and to get ourselves out of this mess, and we can help this along here. Stand still, Moses says. Stop. Stop. Don't be afraid. Compose yourself. Stop your self-help religion, and then you'll see the salvation of the Lord. That's how that works. Don't be afraid. The waves, Peter, look to God, not the waves, not your problems. Stand still, stop your self-help religion, believe in grace, and see the salvation of God. That is, not see it with your eyes, but believe it. Working of faith, this is, by the word of Moses. Faith in the accomplishment of God the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish to you, for you today, seen in the fact that the Egyptians will be gone and you'll be quiet. You'll hold your peace. You're not going to be like the troubled sea itself, which is figurative for the world, that is always a gibbering and a jabbering and a jostling for position and for getting on top and for for getting some kind of peace outside of God. No, this is the peace of God that passes understanding. This is what Moses said will be the result of your standing still. You're fearing not the waves. You're seeing the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish. We would say you're beholding God in Jesus. And that's exactly what happened 
they believed. They had no or little faith, uh, a majority of them apparently. And then Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, in verse 29, by faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were, were drowned by faith. They, Israel, passed through the Red Sea as by dry land. They believed. They believed. Beloved, this is what was needed at that time. There was a sermon, there was many sermons that Moses had preached them ever since he had been reunited with them after 40 years of, uh, in, the, in, the, in the wilderness, in the desert. And he preached to them of the God who's the I am, who, and that I am, and of the God of the promise who said, now I'm going to deliver you, Israel, because I'm faithful, though you're not. He had preached to them in signs and wonders, in ten mighty plagues, and again, the one to remember is the last one, the plague of the blood, the salvation through the blood, that's the one. Now they believed it. They were having trouble believing it. Maybe they were believing it somewhat. But now you see they needed another sermon by the seaside. Seaside sermon. That's why we need a lot of sermons, don't we? Because there's here a Red Sea. There's there a Goliath. There's this temptation. There's this new show on. Should I watch it? There's this girl in my life. There's this guy. What am I to do? Go to church. Hear the word. Believe. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. We're so needy, beloved. And I'm not saying that just me to you. It's God to me as well. Where you'll hear the God of wonder, the God of woe upon the wicked, the God of wonder in mercy to his people, and the God who makes us walk. As interestingly enough, the first words of Moses about the activity of the people is that they should stand still. The second words about their activity is tell the children of Israel to go forward. To stand still and go forward, same time. That's not standing in place, therefore. That's standing still, getting perspective, and moving wherever God tells you. That's what is being taught here. And God tells you to go through the Red Sea. You're going to do it? God tells you not to go around the problem, avoid the problem. Maybe with your families so that you can hardly meet together. And you don't call it a family reunion, you call it a family rebellion. Whatever it is you have to approach and you have to deal with head on, wisely and humbly. Faith is for that kind of activity going forward. This is often used as a New Year's text. Go forward. Go forward. Only with God. Now, beloved, and wrap it up here. The parting of the Red Sea. Which side are we on? Are we in the midst of it? What's our perspective here? Which side are we on? What what is it? Do you understand in light of the gospel that principally we're on the other side? We need to understand that. There's this clean break from Egypt. 
There's this justification of the people of God by Jesus' blood and through faith in that blood, and there's no turning back. But on the other hand, we're still on the other side. Our nature's there. It's like this Egyptian wants to swim across the, 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 the Red Sea of all things. How absurd can you be? And go back. This is what the Israelites are going to show in the wilderness after that amazing song. Where are we walking through? Beloved, the one thing to remember is the Father in heaven says, you go forward. You go forward. You're brought to the other side. Don't look back. I said last time, have Egypt in your rearview mirror now. Don't even look in that mirror. Go forward and serve the Lord. This is the word of wisdom of our Heavenly Father. And it's the powerful word. We all have to go forward. Do the next thing. And God will be with you. He loves you. He says, I love you. I'm your father in heaven. You're my child. Go forward. Amen. Lord, we thank you with all our heart for the heart of your love in Jesus throbbing in his bleeding for us and his interceding for us now, the right hand of glory strength of Israel, the rod of Almighty God, parting the Red Sea, giving us to go out, to go forward, not to look back, serving the Lord wherever he leads. Thanks for a day in your house, Lord. We pray, give us to go forward now in our ordinary tasks of life, which are never really ordinary, they're wonderful things, wonderful callings you give us. May in the midst of them, we know the God of the Red Sea, of the Red Blood, the God of the Red Cross, the God of our salvation. Thanks for loving us, Lord, bearing long with us, Bring along with us as fathers, mothers, single people, parents, children, brothers, sisters. You love us still. Encourage us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Number 439. I will sing of my Redeemer. <clears throat> sing one, two, and Four, one, two, and four of four thirty nine.
receive God's benediction, and go forward in peace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be and abide with you. Amen.